welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Hebrews 11, 4 through 7. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. He was not found because God had taken him. Now before he had taken him, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is God's word. Now, we're entering a part of the Bible here, uh, Hebrews 11, which has been called the Hall of Faith. It's a chapter that highlights the faith of our spiritual ancestors in the Old Testament. We're going to take it slow. As you can see, we want to Take in each person, see their faith, be encouraged by it. This week, we're going to see Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Remember last week, I said that faith is a certain trust in God that he will fulfill all of his promises to us. It is a certain kind of trust in God that he will fulfill all of his promises to us. And this week, we're going to see what that kind of faith does to your life. You know, How does that kind of trust in God change your life? And we're going to see that faith finds Joy and sacrifice, we're going to see that with Abel. We're going to see that faith finds fellowship with God, we'll see that in Enoch. And we're going to see that faith finds deliverance from the judgment. First, faith finds joy and sacrifice. That's in the life of Abel. Let me read verse 4 again. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though dead, he still speaks." In Genesis 4, um, we read that Adam and Eve had their first two kids, Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer. Um, Abel was a herder. And when the time came to give a sacrifice, they gave sacrifices of what they had. And so Cain gave a portion of his produce. Abel gave a portion of his flock. And the text says that God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but not pleased with Cain's. And so you guys, many of you are familiar with the story. Cain becomes enraged. Um, He kills his brother. God confronts Cain. He tries to deny it. He does that whole, like, am I my brother's keeper thing? And then God confronts him and says, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You know, that his his blood is crying out for justice. Now, Genesis 4 doesn't tell us why God was pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but not with Cain's. And that led to a ton of speculation. Perhaps you've done some of it yourself. Throughout thousands of years, there's been all kinds of speculation. Maybe it's, you know, well, Cain's was produce and you know, uh, Abel's was a, a blood sacrifice. Maybe that was it and stuff. But Hebrews actually tells us why. Hebrews tells us that the reason that Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God is because it was by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice. Cain's sacrifice didn't please God because verse 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever draws near to God must believe that he exists And then he's the rewarder of those who seek him. And so faith pleases God in two ways. The first way is, is that you stop pretending you don't see God everywhere. 
okay? A person that, that says they don't believe in God, that, that says that God doesn't exist, is actually going against a ton of knowledge they have. The heavens declare the glory of God. You know, God is seen everywhere throughout the world. He's seen even in our conscience, we've heard him. And so the first step is we believe he exists. The second step is that we believe that God rewards those who seek him. Now, Cain would not have had a problem with believing God existed, right? It seems that there's some sort of direct communication going on. He believes God exists. The problem Cain had is he did not believe that God was the rewarder of those who seek him. Maybe your Bible says instead of rewards those who seek him, it has the rewarder of those who seek him. And so maybe we should think about, like, what does it mean to see God as the rewarder of those who seek him? You know, what does that mean? What does it mean to see God as one who rewards those who seek him? And you think, what would the opposite of a rewarder be? Maybe you guys have some ideas. What are the opposites of thinking of God as a rewarder of those who seek him? What do you think the opposite might be? A punisher would be the opposite of a rewarder? Yeah. What else? What's that? Indifferent to us? Judge? I was thinking about what would be the opposite? What's the opposite of, of thinking of God as one who rewards those who seek him? And I was thinking, you know, one way to think about this would be that maybe God's a bully, you know? Maybe God is just, you know, he's more powerful than us, and we just have to give him whatever he wants to leave us alone so that we can just live on what's left. How many people do you think think of God that way? Even religious people. You know, that God's going to take a cut of our time and our money and our freedom. He's like a cosmic tax collector, and then we're just going to scrape by on what he left us. Anybody feel that way about God? Anybody ever felt that way about God? That's a Cain heart, you know? A Cain heart believes that we're the givers and God's the taker, that he's here to take something from us. A Cain heart is a religious heart. I mean, Cain was a religious person. He's offering sacrifices. If Cain lived today, he'd be in church. A lot of Christians have a Cain heart. A Cain heart is a Pharisee heart, right? It's a legalistic heart. It's a heart that will make a sacrifice to God, but only in the way you pay an IRS agent, right? I'm going to give you what you demand. I'm not going to give you any more, but I'm going to give you exactly what you demand. A Cain heart believes that we're the giver and God's the taker. We can see in Genesis 4 that having a Cain heart doesn't just affect our relationship with God. It affects our relationship with each other, right? We can see that with Cain and Abel big, big time, right? It's a heart without brotherly love for other Christians. It's a, it's a religious kind of uh, judging heart that sees other Christians as kind of your competition for the religious hierarchy. You're always kind of sizing people up. You notice that Cain did that. He saw that Abel's sacrifice was accepted. It made him jealous. He's competitive with Abel. A Cain heart is a heart that's always comparing itself to other believers. It's a, it's a jealous, angry heart. And just ask yourself this morning, do you have a Cain kind of heart? You know, if you do, what you need to see is that God is the rewarder of those who seek him. God is the giver, we're the taker, always in the relationship. He's the giver and we're the receivers. Um, God doesn't need anything you have to sacrifice. You might be here this morning feeling like Cain, like, you know, God just wants this from me and wants that from me, and he's always got all these demands for me. Um, you could imagine God saying to Cain, like, hey, I'm not displeased with you because you didn't bring me steaks like Abel did. He's like, a, a cattle on a thousand hills are mine. <laughs> if I was hungry, I wouldn't have told you. I, I'm upset because you have sacrificed to me as if I was the IRS. You know, come to take my, my take of your life. Guys, God's nothing of the sort. He's all giving, no taking. God is, is the fountain of every blessing and every joy we experience. 
It's as if the whole world is a huge desert and there's no food or water for, for any of our souls, except in the middle of that desert, there's this huge fountain overflowing with water and around it, there's an oasis of teeming life. That fountain in the desert is God. And he has enough in him to give us life and joy and to give life and joy and satisfaction to anyone who draws near to him. And he's so generous, he's so overflowing that his blessings actually spill over onto people who resent him, right? He blesses even those who, who won't draw near to him. It's called common grace. Guys, God is in abundance of giving. He doesn't take, he gives. Psalm 36, 8 says this. It says that his people feast on the abundance of God's house. And then it says that God gives them drink from the river of his delights. Is that your experience with God? That you feast on his house and that he gives you drink from the river of his delights. That's what it's like to have a relationship with the God of the Bible. Is he's an overflowing fountain of love and joy that we receive. Faith draws near to God, seeing him like that. Seeing him as a generous rewarder of those who seek him. You know? Abel found joy in bringing a sacrifice because he saw God that way. He saw that whatever he brought to God, God would give him back a thousandfold in joy in him. Right? Anything we sacrifice to God, we receive back a thousandfold joy in him. Anything we sacrifice to him is overly rewarded. You guys notice that? You know, it's crazy, right, that, you know, we're saved by grace through faith, and then the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do things, and then God rewards those. Isn't that crazy? That he saves us, he saves us totally by grace, he empowers us to do things, and then he's like, you know what, I want to give some rewards to that. And the rewards are over the top. He always rewards. He rewards all those who seek him. C.S. Lewis put it this way. If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what it means to have an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, aren't we? Far too easily pleased. God is the rewarder of those who seek him. Jesus taught it in a parable. It's a parable that's just one verse. It's a one-verse parable, and this is what he said. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covers up and then in his joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field. So it's a little shady, okay? So he's walking around in a field that's not his. He finds some treasure. He doesn't tell the landowner about it. He buries it. Then he sells everything he's got to buy the land so he can have the treasure. Can you guys imagine this guy's yard sale where he's selling everything he has? People are like, this is weird. What are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'll show you later, you know? Guys, that's what it's like. It's like... For him, he found something that was worth trading everything he has for. And so have you if you found Jesus. He is that treasure hidden in a field. Anything we sacrifice to God, guys, is going to seem insignificant compared to the treasure we found in him. Even very hard things like, like persevering in an unhappy marriage or like bearing with wayward kids or like serving God for the rest of your life in a painful body or like living faithfully in celibate singleness or maybe like Abel, losing your very life. Guys, faith finds joy in sacrifice. 
Secondly, faith finds fellowship with God. We see that in Enoch. Enoch's an interesting guy. There's not a lot written about him. He's, it's a really fun thing to, to look at his life. Look at verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. So from this passage and from Genesis 5 where he appears, um, we know two things about Enoch. Two things we know about Enoch is Enoch and God were super tight. Okay, says he walks with God. This is the first one that you hear that kind of language. Super tight. And the other thing is Enoch didn't die. So Enoch's the opposite of Abel. He didn't die. Abel died. Enoch didn't die ever, which is wild, right? And the writer of Hebrews actually says it five ways in this verse. It's so funny. It's like we get it, right? He was taken up. He didn't see death. He was not found. God had taken him. He was taken. Like five ways it says he didn't die. He's like really amazed by this, right? The passage in Genesis 5 just tells us that Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So they were super close. One day Enoch went out on a walk with God, and he didn't come back. You know? It's wild, right? It was as if they're going along, and they're talking, and the Lord's just like, hey, you want to just get out of here? <laughs> and Enoch was like, yeah. And then they did. It was like super amazing quiet time. Can you imagine? You're like meditating on Scripture, you're praying, and the Lord's like, you done here? Sure. It's amazing, right? One thing we can see from Enoch's life is that it's by faith. By faith, he found really deep fellowship with God. And this makes sense because faith is the way we really know and enjoy God. Faith is the way by trusting him. You know, we need to trust him. And that makes sense, guys, because trust is the basis of any relationship, right? Any of you guys have deep relationships with people and you're just like, I don't trust them at all. No, right? Trust is, is fundamental to a relationship, and it's fundamental to our relationship with God. we got to trust him, right? Faith is a certain trust in God that he will fulfill all his promises. Trust is the basis of relationship. In our relationship with the Lord, we're learning to trust him more and more, aren't you? You know, hopefully we're learning to trust him more and more. And I know, guys, as I bring up kind of communion with God and fellowship with God, a lot of us struggle with having regular times of communion with God, you know, in his word and in prayer. And it's very easy if I bring that up, you feel like one or the other, you're not, that's, you're not good at it or whatever. And um, we often think we're, we're busy or we're tired or we're distracted or, you know, some of us are like, well, I'm not the reading type, so I don't read the Bible. And then the ones that are, are like, well, I'm not the praying type, right? But could it be, guys, that we don't seek fellowship with God like Enoch did because we just don't trust him? Could that be it? I think it could be it for some of you. Certainly, it has been the case for me. Could it be that because of some disappointments in your life, you've just decided to kind of keep God over here, right? Keep him at a safe distance, right? You're like, Lord, I love you, appreciate you, but I don't trust you to have you any closer. I don't like, trust you to like pray and really ask you to come through because I just don't trust you, right? You know, and, and, the, and the amazing thing about the Lord is he gets that. <laughs> he understands that. And he still wants to walk with you and teach you how to trust him more. Like he's super patient, you know. He, he still wants to walk with you and he wants to teach you how to trust him more. Which is just amazing. I don't know if you guys are like, have, have your minds been blown by this lately, but God wants to walk with you. God wants to walk with you. Is that crazy? I know some of us are just like, you know, like, oh, it's God. You know, 
I'll get them later, you know? He wants to walk with you. He wants to fellowship with you. That's just amazing, right? It's amazing. He wants to fellowship with me. Like God of the universe, my creator, he enjoys speaking to me. He enjoys speaking to you in his word. You guys know he still speaks through this, right? It isn't that he spoke a long time ago. As you open the word, the spirit, God is speaking to you through his word. He enjoys speaking to you, to you. Like, what's the attraction? I don't mean that negatively towards you. I mean towards me too. Like, what's the interest here, you know? Like, I don't go around speaking to, you know, ants, but we've been made in God's image, and he's special to us, and he wants to speak to us, and he wants to, this is crazy, he wants to hear from us. He wants to listen to us. How many of you guys, when your kids were really little, you know, and they would talk to you, and you're like, there's just nothing here to hear, you know? Like, there's just nothing, no interesting content here. You know, God doesn't feel that way about us right? He longs to hear us. We start to speak, and he he bends his ear down to us as we pray to him. The God who has no needs, who is all-knowing, who is all-powerful, who made you, wants to walk with you in intimate fellowship, just like he walked with Enoch. Isn't that amazing? Now, I know you guys probably have some really famous, fancy friends. Who's got the most famous friend here? Anyone? Anyone's like, hey, I know. Anyone? Who do you know that's famous? Okay, no, that's cheating. That's, yeah, that's good. That's not what we're doing. Thank you, Dave. I'm getting there. You ruined it. No, I'm just kidding. But um, mortal humans alive uh, on earth. Okay, boy, there's a lot of caveats here. Um, who's the most famous person you know? Who, who thinks they know somebody that's super famous? Oh, yeah, he's right there. Okay, we're getting close. Who's got, who knows somebody more famous than Sable Cortez? You guys know Kevin Costner? Like he would know you? Oh, wow. Okay. Anyone go bigger? Not, I'm not trusting you again, Dave. Do you have a... Who is it? No, not more famous than Kevin Costner. Anybody more famous than Kevin Costner? Anybody have somebody more? That's impressive. Rick, did you know this? Kevin Costner went to your church? Wow, okay. Okay, so what I was going to say is, you guys might have some famous and fancy friends, but God is calling you into fellowship with him. It's just like, let's answer the call, guys. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm more trying to make you feel stupid. Like, (laughs) take the call. Take it, you know? Take it. We're crazy, aren't we? Oh, it's God calling again. Like, oh, Hopefully you won't know that I sent him to voicemail, you know. It's crazy. Faith finds fellowship with God. And so I would just say, if you're in that place where you're kind of holding him arms, like, just believe that he wants you. Draw near to him as close as you can. And then he's going to work on all your trust issues, right? You got trust issues. He he gets that. Just come as near as you can to him, and he's going to work on those. Also, faith finds deliverance from judgment. We can see that in the life of Noah. Take a look at verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Okay, so in Genesis 6, the immorality of the human race had become so bad that God was just like, I'm going to wipe them all out. But he chose to save one family, and God comes to Noah and he tells him about the destruction to come, and he tells him uh, to build an ark for his, for his family, for the animals. 
and this thing's like 50 feet tall, okay? And this is like old school. I don't know what kind of tools he even had back then, but he built something 50 feet tall and 500 feet long, okay? Which is like, for Americans that refu refuse to use a metric system, it's, it's like one and a half football fields, okay? So it's a huge thing, right, these buildings. And it takes him decades to make it. And he's, he's making it, mind you, on dry ground, nowhere near water, in the middle of a very godless culture that thinks he's insane, right? You guys have seen Evan Almighty. You kind of know. <laughs> so people think he's crazy, right? He's building this thing. Why didn't Noah do it? Well, verse 7 says that he built it by faith in reverent fear and in reverent fear. Remember, faith is trusting God's promise. God, uh, Noah believed God when he said that the world was going to end, and he believed him about the way of deliverance. Lord comes to him, says this world that, that looks so stable is about to come to an end. I'm going to judge all sin. You're going to need a way out. And he believed him. He trusted him. Trusted his word. And that meant a long period of construction. So Noah's faith produced a kind of fear in him that he knew he needed deliverance. And if you're a Christian this morning, there was a place in your life, a time in your life, when God showed you your need for deliverance. Like Noah, you believed God about that this world that seems, I was going to say seems so stable, it doesn't actually, is going to come to a sudden end. And God's going to judge sin. And you're going to need a way of escape. And just like Noah, you believed. But in our case, guys, it didn't lead to some construction project, right? We needed an ark, but we needed an ark made without hands. And get this, Jesus is that true ark, isn't he? It's in him that we're delivered from the coming flood of God's judgment. You know, on the cross, Jesus Christ, like the ark, was battered with all the waves of God's wrath for us. Now, we can be confident that when the ultimate flood comes, we're going to be safe and secure because we're in him. Isn't that cool? We're in him just like they were in the ark. Remember Genesis 7, it says that when they got in the ark, it says that God himself sealed them in somehow. And the cool thing is, guys, if you're here and you're not yet trusting in Jesus, if you would trust him this morning to forgive all your sin and give you his righteousness, if you would trust him, what God will do by his spirit is he will seal you into Christ so that you'll always be secure, that you'll always be safe from God's judgment because you're in Christ like they were in the ark. So just turn and trust in him. You can do this today. You can do it right now. If you need some help, you know, praying and stuff, talk to us. But you could do it this moment. You could say, Lord, I turn from my sin and I want to be sealed into Christ. And he's going to do that for you. It's amazing. It's grace. It's a gift. As they were safe in the ark, we'll be safe in him. And what's cool is just like Noah, after all the, the wrath and the judgment and all of the flood happens, there's a moment where they emerge from the ark onto dry land into a new world. We're going to do that too. Once this world has been made new, we're going to emerge into this new world, and it'll be a new world in which sin will never again reign. Like Noah, your trust in God is going to change the way you live. And you guys have experienced this already. Like your Christian life doesn't make sense, just like his life did not make sense, right? As you follow Jesus, the way you use your time and your energy and your money, it looks like building an ark on dry ground. People are like, what are you doing? Following Jesus. Why? Because I need him. Because this world as it is, is going to come to an end and there's going to be, you know, God's judgment and then there's going to be a world to come. And I knew I needed salvation and so I got into Christ. And coming into Christ changed my whole life. It's going to sound crazy to them until the spirit works, Right? It's going to sound like you're building an ark on dry ground, right? Um, this verse says that by doing this, he condemned the world. 
He condemned the world because he showed in what he was doing and you showing the way you follow Christ that you don't believe in the empty promises of this culture, right? The way you live shows that you don't believe in the empty promises of this culture. It's a way in which you're condemning the values of this world. And people say like, hey, why are you doing that? Or why don't you do this? Or, you know, why are you so obsessed with Christ? It, you know, that's disturbing to people, you know? Just like some of those people might have seen Noah building an ark and, the, and, and they laughed at him and they ridiculed him and then they thought, hmm, what if though, right? That's what your life does. You know, something's happened in this person's life. Maybe this is real. Maybe this is true. First Peter talks about how us following Christ creates in our lives a questionable life. It makes our lives questionable, right? In a good way. It makes others ask for the reason for the hope that's within you so that they can take refuge in Christ too. So faith finds deliverance from the judgment. And so faith, it causes us to, uh, to sacrifice joyfully. It causes us to seek fellowship with God. It delivers us from judgment. And all this talk about these men's faith, and as we go through this whole chapter, it can be really inspiring, and that's what it's meant to do, right? You look at the faith, and you're like, I want faith like that. We seek Lord, seek the Lord to have more trust and faith in him like they did. But it also can be a bit intimidating, can't it? Do you find it intimidating? You think like, do I have the faith that it takes then? This is their faith. I mean, do I have the faith to sacrifice joyfully like Abel, even if it costs me my life? Or do I have the faith to walk closely with God like Enoch did? Or do I have, you know, the faith of Noah and the reverent fear of his word that he had? And maybe you're like, yeah, I got all three combined. I'm like, all those guys wrapped into one, you know? Maybe you're thinking that. Most of us aren't, though. Most of us are thinking like, man, no, I don't have that kind of faith. I'm still a beginner. You guys feel like beginners? I'm a beginner. I've been following the Lord for 36 years since I was 13, and I feel like a beginner. Don't you feel like a beginner? You're a Padawan. You're a student, right? You got a lot to learn. Our faith may be weak compared to these men, but we're united by our weak faith to the same strong Savior they were. There's a great equality there, isn't there? We're united to the same strong Savior they were. So even our weak faith unites us to the righteousness of Jesus, who's the one who believed God completely, who trusted him completely. This is how we become an heir of righteousness like Noah did. You know, and, and Jesus um, trusted God completely. He was not only the true ark, he was the true Abel. Jesus is the one who has, the only one who's ever offered a perfectly right-hearted sacrifice to God. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is the true Abel. And Jesus, for him, no sacrifice was too big to give to his father who loved him infinitely. Even if, like Abel, it cost him his life, which it did. Hebrews 12 says that he offered himself for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He, he knew. He knew that his father was the rewarder of those who seek him. And now, Hebrews 12 says that Jesus' blood cries out, but it cries out not for our judgment, but for grace. Isn't that amazing? You see that in Hebrews 12, that Jesus' blood, it cries out, not for justice against us, but grace for us. Jesus is the true Abel, who for joy sacrificed himself to God. Jesus is also the true Enoch, who walked perfectly with God. You know, Jesus is the only one who walked with God perfectly his whole life. Jesus is the only one that's done that. You say, what about Adam? Didn't go well, right? Jesus walked perfectly. Remember in his earthly life, Remember how he walked with God? Remember how he's always looking for a way to escape 
You know, he's with all the people, and then he just disappears. And people are like, where is Jesus, you know? And he escaped off to be with his father. Or remember the way that even when he was in the, the hurry and the busyness of everyday life, he, he drew his strength and he drew his direction from communion with God. Jesus trusted the Father for everything and found his strength in him. Jesus lived that perfect fellowship with God, more perfect than Enoch. And what's really cool is because you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, you've entered into that perfect relationship. Like you haven't started a new relationship that you kind of got to build with God. You actually have entered into the relationship that Jesus has always had with the Father. That perfect relationship is yours. Like Enoch, Jesus defeated death, but it was after he died. He died for our sins, but death could not hold Jesus, right? Because death is the penalty of sin, and Jesus had no sin, and so death couldn't hold him. He dies. Three days later, he's raised from the dead. Forty days later, the father said, you ready to get out of here? <laughs> and he ascended, and he took him up to be with him. Like verse 5 says, he was not found because God took him. And we might not escape death like Enoch. Well, it depends, right? It depends on when Jesus returns. We actually might. It's possible. But even if we don't, we know that one day the Lord's going to reverse our death. Because Jesus' righteousness is on us, death can't hold us either. Right? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And what's great is we're going to get to continue the fellowship that we started with the Lord, you know? Like we have a relationship with him now that's deepening every year, but it's going to continue in the world to come with significant upgrades, right? We're going to see him. This, this God who we have known in some way here, we're going to know fully. It's going to be amazing. We're going to continue in fellowship with one another in the world to come. Guys, this is a God worth trusting, this is a God worth trusting. This is a God worth trusting all of his promises. He's worth sacrificing your life with joy, like Abel. He's worth walking closely with, like Enoch. And he's worth resting in securely, like an ark. This God's worth trusting. We should trust him. Seek him. Seek to walk closely with him. Seek to give your whole life to him. Seek to rest in his righteousness. Let's pray. Father, is. Um, Psalm 36 says, we have feasted on the abundance of your house in your word. We're so thankful for that, Lord. We're so thankful for the way you feed us in your word. There's so much food here. This is four verses. It's incredible. Lord, you've fed us. And Lord, you have also caused us to drink from the river of your delights in your word. And Lord, now as we take communion, as we take the Lord's Supper, we pray, Lord, that you would also feed us and give us true food and true drink. Lord, we thank you for your great love and your great care for us, Lord. We pray for anyone that's here that, that hasn't really known you before, that hasn't really put their trust in you. Lord, we pray that even as we worship, even as we take communion, even as we fellowship today, that you would draw them to yourself, that you would show them just the, the absolute necessity of coming to you and the joy that they will have in you. Give them joy in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.